0: Let's pray together. Father, you have exalted the name of Jesus above every name in all of history in heaven and on earth and angels and demons and humans yet to be born, already born, come and gone. The name of Jesus is the only name to be worshiped. And so God, we are, we are privileged. We are honored. It is our joy. It is our privilege to join with a chorus of angels and people throughout all of the world right now and all of history, just lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. What an awesome privilege that we have. God, I'm just so grateful this week getting to watch hundreds of kids in this room uh, lift high the name of Jesus, sing about him, learn about him. Father, I think of all the kids who came through our church that don't even have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I thank you that they um, heard the gospel, which is your power to save. Gotta pray for all of the seeds that were planted in those little hearts. God, that you would bear fruit and that those kids would see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the 150 volunteers who just made that week amazing. Thank you for uh, the fact that that is just the overflow of what you are doing in our heart. And, and when we see your people serving you, we just give you praise because only you could transform these selfish, selfish hearts to be, give an entire week to run around with little kids every day and be exhausted. We love you. Lord, we turn our hearts to your word, and we just ask you, would you change us, would you challenge us, encourage us, may your spirit do whatever you have to do to form Christ in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Village Church. Good morning. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here this morning. The joy to open up God's word with you. Turn with me in your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 6, the book of Acts, chapter 6. We're in a series called... Healthy Church, you guys are, you can read, wonderful. Um, this morning, we're gonna be talking about one of the most ethereal aspects of a church. One of the hardest aspects to get your head around, and it is the church culture. If I were to ask you, what is a church culture? Many people would have a hard time giving you uh, um, things to hang your hat on. It's a very ethereal concept. But before we get into that, I wanna share with you some thoughts that I have. Number one, um, this series is not, is not about why Village Church is a better church than this church or that church. At this point, would you all just give me a big, huge amen on that one? Amen? I I feel like you meant it, most of you. Okay, good. Um, I want to be really careful um, with that because um, one of the things I don't ever really want to do is get up here and say, we're good, they're bad we got it together, they don't. The Ephesian church made this mistake. They, they thought they were doctrinally superior and in the process of their pride, um, they failed um, to keep first their love for Jesus Christ. And even Jesus confronted them and said, you might have all of this stuff together, but in your pride, um, you've failed. And if you don't repent, I will take your lampstand, or I will take my presence from this church away from you. And so there's always a caution whenever we talk about what is a healthy church, that we understand that healthy church, um, let's put it this way, Uh, we're never there. How's that? Um, We're never there because we're here. Amen? Amen. Good. Um, I, I want to share with you from where I sit as lead pastor at Village Church, I get to see a lot of things, but I don't get to see everything. Um, and as I look from my chair where I sit, uh, I see some aspects that are healthy at Village Church, and I see some aspects that are unhealthy at Village Church. And one of the things I try to do is be as objective as I can about the reality of where we're at. Um, I, privately, um, I deal with individuals and teams uh, and with regard to a lot of the unhealth. I'm probably not going to get up here and say, well, let's talk about this ministry or this person or this leader, you know, and like, they're unhealth. Like, I'm not going to do that. That's not respectful or appropriate. But I, I do want to share with you on the front end, just as a, as a little bit of encouragement for you, um, as I was putting this um, series together, this is one part of the series that I was actually excited to share with you. Uh, as I said, I, I-, I don't ever want to say better than, worse than. I just want to share with you one exciting part for me personally, as I've been able to be lead pastor here at Village Church. For 10 years, I've worked with a group of men. Um, We call them elders at Village Church. And this genuinely has been one of the most life-giving, healthy teams that I have ever been on. We have navigated some incredibly difficult things together. We have uh, five of the most different personalities on the planet. um, And yet God has preserved in our team a mutual love and affection and a unity for one another. Now, as I say that, what I don't want to assume is that because that team is healthy, your personal experience of Village Church has been amazing and life altering. Here's the deal, I can sit two people down and say, is Village Church a healthy church and is your experience here been a healthy one? Some people would say, it's been really painful. Some people would say, God has revolutionized my life through this church. Like, How can one community give such divergent answers, right? Um, and then, when we hear about maybe somebody who's been left behind or hurt um, or, or maybe this has not been the healthiest experience for them, um, what do we do in that experience? Um, part of being a, a church that trends healthy um, is we want to be able to respond to that and make some of those things right and address some of the core systemic issues. So, for example, we have almost thirty community groups in our church. Um, this is where most shepherding takes place. Um, this is where most connection and most care like this is the primary place um, where all of that happens and so um, not every community group is going to be as healthy as the other one. Some might have a season of struggling, and and you might find one person who says, my community group um, cared for me, my lowest low. They prayed for me. They came around me. Um, they were a part of the healing process. I had an older man or woman come around me and disciple me. Another person might say, I've been in this community group for a year, and nobody calls me. I've not been prayed for. I've expressed my pain and my heartache, and, and, and so even in the village church, depending on where you're at, um, this may be the healthiest place you've ever been, and it might be be the worst place you've ever been, right? And so one of, one of our big values here, and I want to put it on the screen for you so you can just see this, is that uh, we don't believe that healthy church is a destination. It's a trajectory. It's something you trend towards. It's never something that you arrive at. Um, This isn't a celebration so much as it is. Um, I want to cast a vision for you to build a pathway between where we are and where we could be. Um, I want us individually and with our personal ministries, uh, with the teams that we're on, to be able to just keep our eyes open. Um, It's one thing when you have a few uh, few men and women who are fighting to have a healthy culture. It's a very different thing when you have a couple hundred members, leaders, fighting in themselves and for this church to be a healthy place. Healthy church is not a destination but a trajectory. So we're gonna be talking about culture today and I wanna talk about two levels of culture so we can be um, on the same page in terms of how we are discussing this word. Um, We often talk about culture at Village Church on a macro level. This is a big level. Um, The macro culture is the larger forces at work in society predetermining what is beautiful and good. Now, for some of you, you're going to say, go deeper. I already have. So, if you want to talk to me privately about that, I can point you to some sermons. We're going to, we're going to be focusing today on the second level of culture, which is the experiential atmosphere a person or a group creates. The experiential atmosphere a person or a group creates. Um, Microculture is like climate. It's like atmosphere. Okay, Um, If you go to Seattle, um, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that on average per month, it rains 21.5 days of the month. That is oppressive. That is ridiculous. Uh, Seattle has the second most depressing winter outranked only by Anchorage, Alaska. Right, I, I love sunshine. Do you ever just like wake up in the morning, it's like 80 degrees, not a lot of humidity, it's perfectly sunny, and all of a sudden, emotionally, you just feel joy? Anybody feel that way, you know? Like, you're just like, this is amazing. You, you, you come out of a place at night, and a Midwesterner, we're like expecting like 55 degrees and cold, and all of a sudden it's 75, and it's perfect, and there's no mosquitoes, and you can just enjoy it, right? It's just the perfect place. Uh, And then you respond emotionally or or when you wake up and it's thunderstorming and lightning and raining and pouring down and like this darkness overtakes your soul, right? You know that feeling? Uh, So I I Googled, um, uh, is there a lot of rain in Seattle? And here's what Google told me. Yes. (laughs) Yes. it is always raining in Seattle. The difference is, generally speaking, when it rains, it is a light rain. That is a ridiculous statement to make. So then, on the other hand, conversely, is San Diego. Um, every year, I get the privilege to preach at a church in San Diego. I have some friends who planted a church out there, and every stinking year, everyone is in sandals. I'm like, can I preach in sandals? He's like, yeah, man, totally cool. They're all wearing Hawaiian shirts. They're the happiest people ever. Like, some of them just got done surfing, right? And and then they're coming to church, and they're going back out to surf. And I'm like, this isn't fair, like at all. This is unbiblical. Nobody should ever, ever have that much access to beautiful weather. So in comparison, San Diego averages 146 sunny days a year, 117 partly cloudy days a year, which means there's a cloud that passes over. Um, and it rains, it rains a little bit, 43 days of the year. Now, let me tell you what rain in San Diego means. It means you've had a beautiful morning, about 1 p.m., a little cloud comes over, there's a little bit of drizzle, maybe for about 10 minutes it's like, rain, 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 rain gone. Beautiful, clear, sunny day. The rest of the day is impeccable. That is a day of rain in San Diego. Now, what's interesting is uh, how, how many of you would prefer, you can raise your hands. I'm, I'm just curious who the Christians are and who aren't. Um, how many of you would prefer to live in a sunny climate that your body responds emotionally to in a happy way, right? Right? How many of you would rather live in rainy, drudgery, sadness? There's a couple come out. We got one here. We got one. We got two. We'll pray for you all. You're probably introverts because rain is, an ex- is, is a legit reason to never. Never have to interact with another human, totally understand. Uh, microculture, it's like atmosphere, it's like weather, it's like gravity, it's very intangible at times, like, but it, it affects everything you do, it's always around you, it's, it's affecting the way you feel, the way you think, the way you see things, and uh, your experiences when you walk into a home and everywhere you go. When you walk into an unhealthy microculture in a family, don't you feel it? Like you get rained on and thunderstormed and lightning down right just by walking into, into into the home when you walk into the micro, micro, an unhealthy microculture in a conversation, do you know that feeling when you walk into like a, a conversation you know shouldn 't be happening, you just feel a little bit dirty, and you don't really always know why. Maybe you don't even know what they're talking about, but you know what they're talking about. is not something you should be a part of, and you just feel it, and you sense it. Uh, it just takes one person, by the way, to create a mi- microculture. It takes two to make it really, really bad very quickly. Uh, you know, though, when you walk into the microculture of an unhealthy church, you feel it. You can feel it. You may not have the vocabulary for it. You may not know why. You might try to say it's because of this or it's because of that, but it's something that you palpably sense. And so I want to give you a big picture on microculture and healthy churches. And here's what it is. A healthy church culture is felt, fought for, and fragile. A healthy church culture is felt, fought for, and fragile. If you find a ministry, I mean, by a miracle of God, an entire church that is healthy, if you find a family that is healthy, Um, here's here's what I need you to know. Somebody has worked really, really, really hard for that. And here's what you also have to know. If you walk into a ministry, you walk into a church, you walk into a home, you walk into a work environment that is actually really healthy and life-giving, there's not just a past fight. There is somebody, at least one person, on watch, on guard all the time, looking out for threats because it's a fragile thing. It's a fragile thing. It takes one child in a home to create tons of chaos, right? Give me an amen on that one, Villa Church. One child to take an already healthy marriage and cause a mom and dad to be at, be at each other's throats, right? Uh, it just takes one person to take a whole dynamic and to flip it upside down. And so what you find, though, is that when you have health, it has not just been fought for. It is being vigilantly protected. And guarded. And the more eyes that you have on that, um, the less fragile the culture becomes. This is what we want at Village Church. Um, One of the reasons I'm preaching this is because I want your eyes on Village Church. I have a limited scope. Our staff have a limited scope. Our elders, our deacons, we have a limited scope. Our ministry directors, our community group leaders, we have a limited scope. But together, When we fight and we look for unhealth and we commit ourselves to responding in a way that brings glory to Jesus Christ, upholds the word of God and serves the people of God, like this place can trend healthier and healthier. And there's a lot at stake in this. What's at stake is we can make it unnecessarily difficult for people to meet Jesus, right? We can make it unnecessarily difficult for people to grow in Jesus. We can make it unnecessarily difficult for our children to love Jesus. And so the benefits of being a part of a healthy church and fighting fighting for this is that people's lives are genuinely changed and we get to be a part of it. And it's not gonna happen because I'm on guard. Um, I watch out and I listen constantly. I ask so many questions. Behind so many of my questions to you is I'm just looking for things that are not working so that I can protect the people of this church, right? But, But we need to release more culture protectors in this church. One thing that I want you to know about this is that this sermon is not going to be exhaustive. It's part of a, a four week series on healthy um, mission, which was last week. And in the next two weeks, we're going to be teaching on um, healthy church leaders. We're going to be teaching on healthy church members. And so there's going to be a lot of things actually I don't address in here. I'm not going to be talking about the unity and the love and the experience and the relationship amongst our people. Uh, we're going to save that for the membership aspect of things, okay? Um, but those often are byproducts of healthy people and healthy cultures. All right, so this morning we're going to do a case study. We're going to, give you, we're going to show you five decisions um, that a healthy church is going to make and uh, that they're going to create a healthy culture and uh, we're going to look at the first church that was ever created, the first local church that ever shows up in the Bible anywhere in history, and it is the church in Jerusalem. So Acts chapter 6, turn there. Um, Two assumptions I need to make as we talk about the Jerusalem church. Number one is uh, we're going to make the assumption that when we're talking about healthy church, we're talking about a church that has sound doctrine and a pure gospel. Otherwise they cease to be a church, okay? Uh, So the assumption is that the gospel is clear and the doctrine is remotely healthy. Uh, Number two, here's what we're gonna assume. We've already said it, but I want you to make sure you're clear. We're gonna assume that a healthy church is not a perfect church. A healthy church is one that is trending in a direction. You might have a really unhelpful experience on a team in our church. That does not mean the church is unhealthy. It becomes unhealthy when that person refuses to deal with it and the leaders shut you down. That's where you start to see the unhealth. You're going to find, especially in this first century church, you're going to find tons and tons of problems. Uh, Just read the first like seven, eight chapters of the book of Acts and it is one problem after another after another. The problems and the difficulties and the tensions do not make a church unhealthy. It is how the people and the leaders respond to what is inevitably going to happen in this place. Have you been hurt by the local church? Yep. And you will be again. That doesn't make it unhealthy. What makes it unhealthy is how we collectively deal with it. So the church in Jerusalem will set some context for them. Uh, Number one, it was brand new, figuring things out. Number two, had emerging I mean, this is on a regular basis, relational, doctrinal, and political conflict, constant, regular basis. It was growing faster than they could keep up with it. You know that feeling that you have when you just love your church the way it is? They didn't have that privilege because every day, every week, every month, um, this place was changing and the leaders were just trying to keep up with what is going on. Despite all of this, it was trending healthy. Uh, that's what I want you to see. Um, If I could do one favor for all of you, it would be that you would leave here and not say Village Church or this church or whatever church I go to is the worst church because I had a bad experience. Everybody, inevitably, you dig in deep enough, you're gonna have bad experiences in the local church. I'm gonna offend you, someone's gonna offend you, you, someone's gonna hurt you, someone's gonna leave you out. Welcome to being a part of a community of broken people. That doesn't make a church unhealthy. What makes a church unhealthy is the resistance to make things right. That's what makes it unhealthy. There's many more, but that's a key one. All right. If you're taking notes, point number one, healthy church culture begins at the bottom. Healthy church culture begins at the bottom. Um, This is something that uh, I am a stickler on at Village Church. Um, Most org charts, and this isn't novel, by the way, like this should be no-brainer for you, but um, I just want to say it out loud so that we are on the same page with this. The vast majority of org charts in the world are top-down. The senior pastor, the CEO, the boss, the owner, um, everybody exists for them. Everybody exists to do their bidding, to uh, accomplish their vision. Many of you maybe have been in a church where if the senior pastor speaks it is finished, right? And, uh, and that is a way that, that churches can be run. I don't agree with this. This is not the way we want to run here. Um, in fact, many of our staff, um, they've learned that when I'm processing out loud, I'm not telling them what to do, I'm just processing. And that's been a really healthy thing because I don't want everybody here to exist for my platform or to exist for my authority or to do my bidding or to accomplish my vision. That is not what we want here. Uh, And and whoever um, takes my seat next, whoever is in the lead pastor position after me, because we're all interim members, we're all interim pastors. I don't know how long the Lord will choose to keep me in this position, but whoever comes here next, if they try to lead with top-down authority, um, I wanna make it really, really hard for them and I want you to rebel against that in a very kind, humble, godly way. So what we do is inverted leadership here. So when I walk into the building of Village Church, here's what I tell myself. It doesn't matter if I'm dealing with staff. People come through this building all the time. I tell myself, Michael, you're here to serve. You're here to give people what they need. You are here to help them. You are here to release disciples. You're here to help the staff make disciples, to build teams. You are the least important person in this place. Whatever you can do to help them. Like this is the stuff I tell myself because all of us are task-oriented at times. We come in, I wanna do my task, I wanna get my thing done, right? Uh, But one of the things that I have to do is set a culture here and our staff together, we have to set a culture that we are not the most important people. The elders are not the most important people. We may have greater influence, but this is ultimately not about us. The people at the top are our members. That is who we are here to serve and to release into the world, to be disciples and disciple makers. And so what we wanna do is make sure that um, we don't flip this thing from top down because that is honestly not the way I believe Jesus would structure a local church in the 21st century. Now, here's the deal. When you watch this get changed, if you start to watch myself or our staff or our elders uh, lead from a top-down, authoritarian, oppressive leadership style, you need, you need to address that. You, you need to f- figure out how to say, hey, I remember that sermon you gave, and I know you don't want to be a total hypocrite, so how about you like, listen to that and maybe do things differently, right? So go for that. That'd be fun. All right, turn with me. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, and uh, here's, here's what's going on. We're in the Jerusalem church. It says this. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... Seville Church, I want to pause for a moment, and I'll just say it, and then you can interpret it however you want. Church growth is a great thing and a dangerous thing. It is a great thing to watch people meet Jesus Christ, to watch them grow as disciples, to watch them get baptized. That's the most ideal church growth you can have. But church growth is a dangerous thing, particularly in 21st century America. Um, because very easily what happens is that the larger a church gets, that org chart inverts, I would call it subverts, and becomes top down. Uh, th- there's a lot of danger in our culture with growth. But, I, but what you have to understand is it's a really good thing when the church increases in number. Particularly when the church increases in number because people are meeting Jesus Christ. And let's go on, I just want to say that. A complaint, verse one still in chapter six, by the Hellenists, these are the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews, these are the Jews. So here's what you're you're gonna find in this culture is tons, tons, tons of racism, okay? Uh, Hellenists, or the Greeks, and the Hebrews, or the Jews, they don't get along, The Jews were racist, they didn't talk to people, they didn't associate with a lot of them. I mean, there's so much cultural, racial, social, political tension between these two groups. Again, it is palpable, you can feel it, there is a culture. And so here's what's happening, you have a complaint by them, they're raising up against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You have one of the most in this culture, helpless groups of people, those whose husbands are dead, Um, they're unable to provide for them or care for them, they needed help. And here's what you find. A Jerusalem church and all of the leaders of the Jerusalem church were what ethnicity? Jewish. And who is being neglected? The Greeks. And and it's not just people. It's the least. It's the most helpless. And you can understand how this would incite internally racist feelings. You can understand how big of a conflict this might be. I mean, every church conflict has the capacity or the ability to be the conflict that divides a church. I I mean, really, this might sound like a a silly, small thing, um, but this goes deep. And and this had the, the potential to take this early church and to create a division that wouldn't heal for maybe centuries or ever. Like if this Jerusalem church, the model for so many churches in the early first century, if this church split, what would the first century have looked like? But they didn't. And the leaders were attentive. The leaders were aware. So, verse two, here's what happens. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. Uh, I love that line, by the way, the full number, and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, let me be clear. Are the elders saying we are better than serving tables? Please say no. Are the apostles saying, That's beneath us. No. What they're saying is, we have a calling, you have a calling. We have a ministry, you have a ministry. The answer is not just throw an apostle on it. Uh, the apostles have a very specific responsibility in the church. The leaders have a very specific responsibility. Uh, the best thing you can do, rather than distract from somebody's ministry, is to figure out, okay, well, maybe who is God calling to be in this? And so I want to um, talk about a few key decisions that these, leaders, that these leaders made to create a healthy culture. Here's one. The leaders did not let the conflict distract from their calling. Did they deal with it? You're going to find out in a minute. The answer is yes but they did not let it distract them. Um, It is very easy whenever something in a church that doesn't work right, for the leaders to stop everything they're doing and then to go figure it out and try to fix it. Sometimes it's actually not not the best way for something to function. And so leaders need to be really clear in terms of their role and their job, but I appreciate uh, what the leaders of this first church did. Verse three, though, goes on. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom who we will appoint to this duty, but we, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. The leaders, I want you to watch this, they decentralized not just responsibility, but authority. I don't know if that's even gonna like makes sense to most of you, but the moment it does, you're gonna realize that this is a game changer in a church. When every single answer needs to be approved by one person, a senior pastor, you slow down everything, you centralize authority, nothing gets done and people get hurt. And so one of one of my highest values here is that when you look at our org chart, we lead from the bottom up, and I push, we push. Brian Rhodes actually taught me this. He said, push the authority and the responsibility of decision making as far away from the bottom as humanly possible. Let people on the front lines who know what's going on make decisions. Give them the authority and the responsibility to make decisions. If you make every decision contingent, Michael, on you making it, you become a bottleneck. People get hurt. And actually, one of the healthiest things that you can do in a church is to trust the body of Christ, designating authority and responsibility to make decisions. And this is what they did. They actually didn't make any decisions. They didn't. They pushed the decisions out um, for a few key reasons, but here's one reason, number two or three, they genuinely believed that everybody in this church who trusted in Jesus Christ had the Holy Spirit They did not believe that the key to all of the decisions and the answers lied with them and them alone. They legitimately uh, believed that the Holy Spirit was in the body and they decentralized, they gave away authority and responsibility and they trusted the people, they didn't micromanage the process, they gave some boundaries like make sure the person filled the Holy Spirit has a good reputation, other than that you figure it out. And the people came back and presented seven men who ultimately would be the basis, the formation for what we now know as the office of deacons. Number four, the leaders clarified their role. They didn't just say we're better than that. They said, this is our job, but we're committed. We're committed to this problem getting dealt with immediately. Healthy cultures are contingent on healthy people. And the leaders have to lead from the bottom up. And I want to share with you um, just a reality um, in any local church, and I want to show you how it plays out in our local church. So um, uh, not everybody in a local church has the same amount of influence. Do you know that, right? So if you just became a member, it's plausible that I, Michael, Lee, pastor from the pulpit, might have more influence than you do on the formation of the culture of the church. It's not a bad thing, it's not a good thing, it's an is thing, it just is, okay? Uh, and so what I wanna do is I wanna show you, show you the reality of influence and what you should expect from where you're sitting with the reality of influence. So here's, here's three just levels of influence. Our elders and deacons and staff have an incredible amount of influence on the day-to-day realities of our culture. And we have the highest standards for these um, men and these women. So we understand that when a pastor hurts a group of people, that goes way deeper than when a ministry director does. It goes way deeper than when a member does. Uh, that, that we understand that there is a weight of influence that comes with these positions. And, and so one of, the, one of the ways that you can protect a church culture is to be very aware of the decisions and the cultures that our elders, our deacons, and our staff are creating. uh, Because these will profoundly influence the culture of a church. Number number two is our community group leaders and our ministry directors. Um, These are men and women on the front lines of our ministry. Um, These are men and women that have a profound amount of influence. It takes one community group leader who doesn't do their job to really cause maybe 8, 10, 12, 15 people to be disconnected from their church, to have a less than healthy experience. Um, The hope, though, is that it's it's contained there. You're not going to have 150, whereas if I get up and I start doing really, really dumb things, it impacts hundreds of people and not just a small group of people. Uh, We have to understand, though, that every community group leader, every ministry director, um, we have uh, requirements that there is a level of spiritual and personal health because healthy people make healthy cultures. And what we want to do is make sure that when we look at just the reality of influence in a local church, we have much, much, much higher standards for elders, deacons, and staff than we do community group leaders and ministry directors. But we have a really high standard compared to most places I've been and seen for our community group leaders and ministry directors. Even our membership. Um, We do not... um, Pursue membership sort of like we're desperate. We just want more members like I want to know do you know the gospel? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you committed to giving to serving um, to being a part of this community to being vulnerable? Can I tell you hard things like there are aspects of being becoming a member here that uh, We're trying not to make this number huge We want this to be a group of people who are genuinely committed to the village church and to sound doctrine to the mission and to the culture of this place Um, But every single person in here matters infinitely to God. But you need to know, as we we understand the reality of our um, um, interactions with each other, um, there are some positions that have a major amount of influence. And you can help us. Uh, You'll find that when we have a new member, a new elder, or a new deacon, we send an email out like two weeks beforehand after we've done as much vetting as we can. And we basically say to you, um, hey, Village Church, um, if there's anything about this person that is not becoming to the office, let us know. It's totally private. Um, You need to pay very close attention to that because that's one of the ways that you protect culture at Village Church. All right, number two, now we're going to fly. You're like, Michael, what were you doing previously? Well, just drifting. All right, here we go. Healthy church culture hinges on communication. Now here's what I wanna do. I wanna go through the same text, but I wanna look at it through the lens of communication and not through the lens of leadership decisions. I love this. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. The people honestly communicated with the leaders. A healthy church is one where the needs of the people are being communicated to the leaders. Is that conversation always easy? No, I want it to be as easy as possible, for sure. But it doesn't mean it always is. I've had some of you meet with me and you've never sat down with a lead pastor before. Maybe you had and it's only ever gone bad. And I've had people legitimately sit across from me sweating with a voice cracking because um, I represent for them experiences of PTSD from former experiences. And I don't, want your life, I don't want you to have that experience. I want you to be able to sit down with me, have a God-honest conversation and have it, have it go really, really well. I want you to feel um, heard. Uh, number two, the leaders attentively listened to the people with the least influence, especially. I mean, these widows had no influence. Um, if anything, they were a quote, drain on the resources. That was not in their brain. They saw them as a people to be highly treasured, highly valued, and they listened and they led effectively. In verse two, here's where we see the full number of the disciples. We find that the leaders communicated transparently with everyone. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to know what's going on? Don't you want to know that when the leaders get up and talk, it's transparent, they're not hiding stuff, there's not ulterior motives and secondary agendas? Number three, the leaders communicated the good, or for and, the good and the difficult. One chapter earlier, you have Ananias and Sapphira who are lying to the Holy Spirit and stealing. They ultimately end up dead. Uh, The Holy Spirit, it seems, just killed them in front of the whole body. They ship out their body. I mean, and the, 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 the leaders of the church dealt with it. It wasn't hidden at all. I love that. I love that they say it's not right. Uh, They're also saying, hey, this needs to be dealt with. Um, It's not right for us to be doing this, but this isn't right either. We got to deal with with this thing. Uh, You look at verse three, uh, it says, or verse five, it says, what they said pleased the whole gathering. The leaders' communication built confidence. Communication is a two way streak. I put the burden on the leaders, but it is a two way streak. And what you're going to find in a healthy church is you're going to have humble, Honest, transparent communication. Number three, healthy church is heterogeneous. I couldn't, I couldn't just leave this word out. I love the word. Um, heterogeneous is the opposite of homogenous or homogeneous, or however you like to say it. Heterogeneous means diversity, not the same. Uh, homogeneous means the same or lacking in diversity. In the book of Acts chapter two, so let's go back a couple chapters. um, Acts chapter two, verse 37, uh, here's, here's what it says. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, be baptized. Change your mind, trust in Christ, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Could you, <laughs> could you imagine if Village Church went from this and 3,000 more people in a day came? Like, that would be hard. That's why we say church growth is great, but it's also really scary and we need to be very careful. Of it. Now, here's, here's the question I wanna answer. Do you know of these 3,000, what nationalities were represented. Let's read these. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. So in America, I don't care what culture you come from, cultures... Uh, people from a certain culture tend to default and flock to people of, like said, culture, ethnicity, and background, right? Like a village church. Like in most churches in the world. Like, this is what happens. Um, on one level, they do begin to represent their community, but there is something real that happens there. But, but in the early church, this wasn't just one culture. I mean, this was a massive shift to anything they ever understood about corporate worship. This was... Okay, no longer does common language bind us. No longer does common heritage, common vocabulary. We have something that binds us, that that transcends all of these things. And now, once where there was racism, now there's affection and love. That's crazy. That is crazy how this looks. The hallmark, one of the hallmarks of a healthy church is a heterogeneous church. That, I want you to hear me, Accurately reflects its culture. If you are in a completely all-Hispanic neighborhood, would you expect a bunch of white people to go to that church? Probably not. If you're in a completely all-white neighborhood, would you expect a bunch of people who are Hispanic to come to that church? Probably not. One of the desires is that never once is anybody not connected with, pursued, loved, cared for because of their racial background, their ethnicity, or the color of their skin. And one of the hallmarks of the church is that we don't discriminate when it comes to people that we pursue to make disciples. That as we go, as the Lord brings people into our life, we understand that every human being, no matter where they are, is made in the image of God and of infinite value. And our prayer and desire is that the nation's no matter where they come from, where they're at, would know Jesus Christ personally because what binds us together is not our common culture first and foremost because we all speak English, right? You go to Haiti, you visit our church in Haiti and you're gonna find that there is something that binds us to those people, and it is not language, it's not the color of our skin, it is not our heart culture, it is simply Jesus Christ. It is a powerful reality that binds us together. The church is the place where people of different skin colors and backgrounds can actually be friends, can marry each other, can date each other, can serve together, because what binds us together really at the end of the day is way deeper and transcends all of that. Ephesians 4 says this, I want to read this to you, love this. Ephesians 4 says there is one body and one spirit. These are the places where we are homogenous. We are heterogeneous when it comes to all these external things, but there are some homogenous things that we need to call out. There's one body, there is one spirit, there is one hope, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. That is what binds us together. But when it comes to the actual people of God, we come as a people with various backgrounds, different gifts, different callings, different skills, different colors of skin, different heart languages and nations and cultures, and we are bound together by one faith, one Lord, one baptism. That is what binds us together. Number four, healthy culture seeks to replicate. Herein is the hard issue. Do you want people to come to Christ more than you want this to be preserved as it is that that's an churches by the way in America um, are actually wrestling with that question they don't know how to articulate it right but they don't pursue the mission because the mission is a threat to the status quo and so I wanna show you just what happens in the book of Acts. Um, this is just a, an overview, if you will. We're gonna just fly by. The Lord added to the number day by day. Believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Uh, the disciples were increasing in number. Next slide. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I love this. Acts 9:31. it multiplied. Acts 11:21. 21, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A great many people were added to the Lord. They increased in numbers daily. Now, I'm not saying that this is a description of what is going to happen at Village Church, but here's what I do know. I do know that the Lord is building his church. I know that people all over the place in America and around the world are trusting in Christ daily. I do know that healthy churches are more likely to be able to see people come to Christ and grow and to be made disciples. Um, I do pray that the Lord would allow us through your personal ministry, uh, through the ministry of this church, to see people actually trust in Jesus Christ. Do you want this? I know you say you do. Don't get me wrong. But do you want this to the point where it might actually change how this place functions? Some people will say, Michael, you're young. You want the church to get bigger. I actually don't. Um, If if we had 3,000 people come to faith here, we would plant like 10 churches. And I just, like I want to preserve the family experience. I don't don't want it to be bigger than we can care for people well. That's just just a value of mine personally. Um, But the next church we plant, it's going to change things. You send out 150 people from Village Church, what if it's your best friend? What if it's you? What if you have to go to a set-up, tear-down church for a year and a half and be there at 6 a.m. just to make it work? Because that's what a bunch of people do at Village Church East right now. Are you Are willing to do it? Because if people come to Christ, it actually means things might change. Number five, healthy churches lean into their distinctives. Healthy churches lean into their distinctives. We are not other churches. We don't want to be other churches. We share a lot of things in common. We come from a common heart culture in this place, suburban Chicago, America, United States, etc. Um, we have a few distinctives, and and this is a maybe a simple, quick opportunity for you to just hear some of the distinctives that we set aside to say, you know, these are really important to us at Village Church. And, and, and first what I want to do is I want to tell you um, how we came up with these. Um, as, as we started to hire staff, um, Tim Chin and then others, about, Tim, how long has it been? Three, three and a half years. I don't remember a time without you. Take it as a compliment, I think. <laughs> right? You never know how people are going to take that. I'm like, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. So, uh, but I uh, hired Tim three and a half years ago and then since then um, have hired a handful of staff. We realized is that we kept saying to people, oh, if you don't get this, you're probably not gonna like succeed here. Like This is really important. If, if you don't uphold this, if you don't believe in this kind of to the core, um, as a staff member, you're not gonna like it here. You're gonna hate me because I'm gonna be like, do this, do this, do this. Like, these are things that we discovered were really, really, really important um, to our leadership culture at Village Church. And so some of you, as I, as I, as I put these on the screen, You're gonna say, Oh, I've been here long enough to see, like, no, that's really important. And when these things don't work well, this is where I dip okay dipping is a word that I use for um, when I get in the middle of your job or your ministry and I'm like and it's almost I almost always hundred percent of the time dip on these six things okay so for your for your um, own enjoyment here here they are um, we are a team building church team village church teams are collaborative and they're evaluating like we build teams who build teams who build teams if you're a staff member and you're not building teams I'm frustrated just that simple and so we build teams and we want to build Healthy teams, and we have team building training, etc. And we build sub teams on those teams. We build teams of teams of teams because. I think God loves teams better than not teams. So, okay, there we go. Our teams are evaluating, which means everything that happens, we evaluate. My sermons get evaluated, our services, every event that we do. Ideally, right, and part of the reality of being at Village Church is if you're a musician or you're doing anything publicly or you're on a planning team, we're going to evaluate. And if you're off-key, God willing, we're going to talk about it. And if I rambled on a rant that I shouldn't have, someone's going to tell me about it, you know? And uh, we evaluate things because we believe the gospel tells us we're not perfect. Nothing I do will be perfect. I'm going to give it my best and I want to grow. And that means that I have to humbly receive this. We're a team building church. Number two, We're a digital church. Um, Oftentimes, the older you are, the less relevant this feels. But through and through and through, we are a digital church and we are committed to engaging the next generation and this generation, whatever this generation is, with digital, shareable, helpful media that helps make disciples. And all of our staff understand this. We are accountable to this and we want to enter into this world and redeem it for the sake of Christ. Highest priority. If you're not doing it, I'm probably talking to you about it. Number three, we are a family church. These, by the way, are in no particular order. They are just as they are. We're a family church. We are a loyal family and we are an authentic family. If you come in here and you got all these walls and you're like, I'm not like... We are, by nature, invasive, right? And you've experienced this. Get into a community group, spend enough time here. We're like, you know, I've noticed. And (laughs) we just poke, 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 right? Um, Some people don't want to be poked a whole lot. And those people often connect slower to Village Church for what it's worth. Um, Authentic family, loyal family. Um, Number five. We're a servant leadership church. I talked about inverted leadership and decentralized leadership. This is just one of the most important things to us as a church. And so whenever we talk about leadership, whenever I work with staff, elders, deacons, community leaders, ministry directors, like this, this is, should bleed through everything that we do. Number five, we are a what-if church. Um, so this, this might be a reflection of maybe some of my passions, but I love when people dream. I love when people go before the Lord and pray, like, Lord, what could happen? In all of our budget development, all of our directors, they have their actual budget they're asking for and they have their dream budget. And I wanna know, if if money wasn't an issue, like, what would you love to see God do? We fund vision, so like, what would you love, what would you love to see God do in this? And, and it's interesting, a couple years ago, we had our, uh, David Torres, who is our worship ministry director, submitted a worship ministry vision, he called it his dream vision, and within a year, the entire dream vision was reality. It was very cool. Uh, we've had a lot of directors come in and just say, oh, if I could see anything, and, and then so often we look at them and we're like, that's possible, like, that's doable. And we find that the Lord has put burdens and dreams in people's hearts and we want to help them see what those are and and see if it's a realistic pathway to reality. We want to invite those discussions. And finally, number six, we're a so what church, which means we directly challenge culture's lies and the hardest questions. Uh, We want to deal with the hardest things that you're asking. We don't want to avoid them. We want to invite them. If it's awkward, we're all in. Okay, and uh, so we do a Song of Solomon series and some people are like, ah, that makes me nervous. But you know what? It's a hard subject, they're hard questions. So that's what we do, we run after them. Uh, If you look up our Q&A podcast, some of the most awkward questions you could ever ask somebody and here we are publicly like answering them. And uh, these are some of our distinctives. This is what we learned, um, really, really help people acclimate to understand these are really important to us. So if if you are a so what kind of person but you're not preserving the family, Like the family essence of who we are, that's a problem. All of these need to be held in tension with one another. And this doesn't make us better than anybody. It's not the point. It's just a matter of this is who we are. So one of the questions we asked last week was, where is God building fruit or bearing fruit? Um, We talked about a couple things. Families, kids who are bringing their parents and three-generation families coming to Village Church. Awesome opportunity to minister to grandparents. Just the general principle of families. The Lord is bearing measurable fruit in these ways. Healing, we talked about this last week as well, that God is allowing us to help people work through the healing process, whether they're not Christians or they're coming from different churches who have been severely wounded. We asked the question, what doors is God opening? Last week, we shared with you that planting and serving other churches seems to be doors that God is opening, engaging in retirement communities. Uh, I think we've had two Sundays now at our uh, new, or one Sunday at our monthly worship service at Clare Oaks. We have a weekly service at Victory Center. We have a uh, weekly Bible study at Clare Oaks and the Lord's just slowly opening those doors and we wanna walk through those. We talked about podcasting and digital media. The Lord's beginning to open up doors there. So we're investing in that and those are some ministry distinctives. So I want to close with two questions. Michael, what if I don't fit? So I hear you talk. I hate the digital side. I don't want to be in a family. I don't like dreaming and I really preserve, prefer top-down authoritarian leadership. Cool. It's fine. Um, here's the deal. My, my philosophy on church is, is very simple. Go where the Lord calls you. Um, some of you will be here, and you do not like the way I preach. You don't like the music we do, but the Lord is like, you're here. Stay. My wife says, "Bloom where you're planted." Uh, she stole that from some sign that she saw on a wall. Right? <laughs> Bloom where you're planted. It, it might not be the greatest cultural fit. Those are feelings and preferences. And so here's what we understand: like the Lord is going to put us in places that sometimes don't always feel good. They're not always the easiest. And he has permission to do that. And so one of the things that I I tell people is just like, I'm like, what is the Lord calling you to? And there's some people I've just looked at and I said, my sense is that the Lord's calling you here because you love your preferences too much and he's just gonna kill them. For some people, the Lord brings you here because your gifts are exactly what we need and it's not like your perfect cultural fit, right? But... The Lord is bringing you here to build up and edify the people of God. Sometimes the Lord is gonna bring you to a different church. We've had a handful of people that we joyfully like send off to another church and say, go, build them, serve, this is good. Uh, We're not stingy with our people. Um, anybody at Village Church of Barlett who wants to go to Village Church East and help build over there, go. Like we've given Village Church a carte blanche freedom. Go to Carroll Stream, build that church. I don't care what position you are, unless you work for Village Church, you gotta stay here. Everyone else, right? <laughs> Everyone else, go, go over there if you want. Like we, we try not to be stingy with that, but I do find that sometimes the Lord just likes to plant you in places that are a little bit frustrating and uncomfortable. Question number two, and here's where we'll end. Michael, what if I see health? One of the things I wanna invite you to do is to humbly and kindly address it where you see it. Sometimes it's a system. Can I just tell you, so many of the hurt people that we experience were hurt because of bad systems. You have a new staff member who comes in and their, their, their organizational system um, didn't work the best, right? Good intentioned, somebody falls through the cracks, you're hurt, you turn in a connect slip and um, I don't think this happens uh, but you turn in a connect slip and nobody responds to you and you feel completely ignored because you were vulnerable. Trust me, nobody is reading that and saying, I'm going to ignore this person. Sometimes it just comes down to a bad system. Sometimes they got thrown out in the trash by accident, right? Nobody's intentionally malicious, and so um, let us know those things. Sometimes it actually is a, a person who's sinning and your responsibility is to address them personally and directly. Sometimes it's a leader, and that's the hardest part. But one of the things that I want to make sure is that anytime a leader is is confronted or directly uh, approached with a hard issue, I want to make sure that we respond with humility and that we listen and we respond to make it right. So one of the one of the things that I'm probably most excited about actually. Um, it's something that the vast majority of you don't know about. Um, and uh, I think it was about nine months ago, I sat down with Alex and Haley. Uh, Alex is our next-gen pastor. Haley is our communications manager. And they're like the nicest people in the whole world. Like if you're crying or you're having a hard time, like, like they're great, right? I'm like, let's fix it, right? And they're just like, Oh, they, like their feet, like they just empathize and they're just really amazing people. They're great leaders, love them. And um, and so I looked at them and I said, listen, I have a sense that we're not listening well enough. Um, and I also have a sense that there's a lot of things people want to say, but they don't feel safe to say. And so we got to figure out how to create uh, an infrastructure here that allows this. So I said, I want you to build what's called the Fix-It team. Now they hated, hated the name. So they changed it to the eval team, right? So I don't care what you call it, but... So I basically said to them, listen, I want you guys, one family a week, I want you to sit down, I want you to just listen. And this is indefinite. Now, it's going to take a long time. If maybe every four years, every family in our church just gets an opportunity to sit down with you guys and to listen, that would be be awesome, right? Um, It's completely private. You are not allowed to tell me anything anybody says under any circumstances. Like that is my flat rule. And if I ever try to change that, rebuke me and, and shut this whole ministry down. Like, I'm not allowed to know. The elders are not allowed to know. Nobody is allowed to know except for the two of you, and that's where it stops. I just want you to listen, and I want, you to, I want you to put another team together that gets all this anonymous feedback and ask this question. How can we love people better? How can we serve people better? What's not working? What is working? What is God doing? What is God working on? Now, some of you are like, I've never been called. I don't know who they call. I don't know when they call them. All I know is I said, over like a four-year period, can you make sure like maybe everybody gets addressed? Who, You know, like that would be ideal. Um, I don't know how it's going to evolve. I don't know how many people are going to put into it. I don't know when they're going to call you. I don't, I don't, none of that. I don't know any of it. All I know is that's their job. And so they have this team of people, and this team of people have no idea who is actually saying these things at all. And they're just listening, and they're saying, this could be better. This could be better. This really hurts some people. And we have found that one of the best ways to actually get feedback is just to listen so that we're looking and we're on guard and we're hunting, but you know what, we're gonna miss a ton of stuff. We're gonna miss a ton of stuff. And so Village Church, I think if we all have ownership in this, if we can all play our part and we can seek out unhealth where we find it and we can really pursue to make it healthy again, man, like we can trend healthy, see people come to Christ, see disciples made, like what a beautiful privilege we have. So again, um, I hope this is an encouragement for you. I hope it sets maybe expectations from our leaders for you, but also we're gonna talk about healthy church members, um, I believe next, no, next week. I think it's next week, right? Next week, thank you, Tim. Uh, healthy church members, and we're gonna talk about you. It's gonna be a blast and you're gonna love it. So uh, <clears throat> let's pray together and we'll celebrate. Communion, Father, um, yeah, thank you for, thank you for the privilege to be a part of a local church. And uh, I sometimes wonder what you're up to because uh, You take a bunch of broken people, put them into a family and say, figure it out. Um, And yet over 2,000 years, billions and billions of people have heard the gospel. So clearly you're up to something. Clearly it's a genius idea. And so God, our desire here is never to be better than, but just to pursue healthy things that bring you glory, that serve the mission, that bind us together in love and unity. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to help us there. Give us eyes to see. God, I pray for humble hearts. But, Lord, we also know that all of the great intention of today is not guaranteed tomorrow. So would you continually protect us from ourselves, members, leaders, all around. And God, for all of our failures, all of our frustrations, all the things that don't work, all of the sin in us, actually, that we have committed that has actually hurt and harmed other people. Thank you for Jesus, that the shed blood of Christ truly does accomplish forgiveness through faith in him. And that through faith in Jesus Christ, healing is real and possible. And a community of broken sinners can be transformed and trend more and more healthy. God, I think all of this is rooted in the cross and so would you well up inside of us that gratitude that if we even have the ability to trend healthy, it is rooted in the cross. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.